All right, good morning. Great to see you all here this morning. I'm sure uh, you recognize that little uh, clip there from those commercials that came out a while back. I think it was by Citibank. Uh, just trying to tell us about the, the dangers of identity theft. And uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yep, I saw that. I signed up. We got protection. Or maybe you've got an insurance policy that, that guards you against that. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm fine. If someone steals my identity and sees the state of my finances, they'll be giving it back real quick. They're not going to want to do anything with my finances. But identity theft, it's, it's a real thing. And it's not just a financial risk. I discovered this week um, a, a crazy story, really, about a lady, a 33-year-old lady. Uh, her name was Wendy Brown of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And um, she stole the identity of her 15-year-old daughter. And here's why she did. Because um, her 15-year-old daughter had moved away to live with her dad. So this lady stole her daughter's identity, enrolled in high school, and showed up at school as her 15-year-old daughter. Why? Because her high school experience hadn't been a great one. And uh, she really wants to be on the cheerleading team. So seriously, true story in the news. She, uh, she stole her daughter's identity. She uh, shows up day one. Um, they were assigned her a locker. They gave her, um, told her when all the cheerleading practices were. She came to the practices. She even went to a pool party at the cheerleader coach's house. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of days in that people started to think, man, she does look a little bit old for a 15-year-old. And they dug a little deeper. And they found out this lady had stolen her daughter's identity just to, uh, to be a cheerleader. Pretty scary stuff. But um, we're going to talk in this series about a different kind of identity theft. We're not going to talk about your financial identity being stolen. We're not going to talk about uh, the dangers of losing your driver's license number or your social security number or your credit history. In this series, over the next few weeks, when we look at the idea of identity, I want to really focus in and talk about our deepest, truest, most significant identity, who we are, and, and make sure that it is who we are, that maybe, maybe, maybe our identity has been stolen from us. Maybe who we are has been robbed from us. And, and I'm hoping through this series it'll help restore that, help bring you back to, to who you were meant to be. Now, if you're here this morning and you're just kind of checking us out, maybe you've been a few times, but um, if you were honest with yourself this morning, you'd probably say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Jesus yet. Um, I've I'm, I'm come along here, my, my family comes, my friends have invited me, and, and I enjoy it. But I'm not sure yet that I'm, I'm really fully committed to Jesus, really bought into this whole thing. Well, well I think you're going to enjoy this series, because we're going to talk a lot about what the identity of a follower of Jesus should look like. So, so for you, as you're kind of exploring and you're thinking through this, I think this is going to help give you a bit of a target to aim for. You can say, okay, I, I see now what it is, what it means to be a follower of Jesus this morning. That's, that's the identity of a follower of Jesus. Now, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, maybe at some point in the, the distant past or, or just even recently you've made a decision to say, Jesus, I, I recognize what you did on the cross was for me. It was for all of mankind, but it was, it was for me individually. And I'm so grateful, God, that you would send your son on my behalf. Because I know that as hard as I try, I'm never going to get it all right. So thank you, God, that, that you paid the ultimate price. You allowed your son to be sacrificed for me. And as a result, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to strive to live my life for you. 
Well, that's an awesome thing, but, but that, that builds a new identity. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's a new identity you've been given. And, and I hope as we talk about this over the next few weeks, you'll be able to say, yeah, that's where I'm at. Or maybe some of you will think, no, that's actually, that's not where I'm at. That's where I aspire to be. You see, Paul, he, he gave us this great um, verse, this guy by the name of Paul, on the subject of identity. On the subject of our identity, if we are a follower of Jesus. And if there was ever someone who was equipped to talk about identity and an identity in Jesus, it was Paul. Because he knew what life used to be like. He, he used to go by the name of Saul and Saul was a horrible person. Saul hated the followers of Jesus. In fact, he was kind of employed by the religious leaders of his time to go out and persecute them and and criminalize them and capture them and even kill them. And then Saul has this experience with Jesus. He has this encounter on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears and says, Saul, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my followers? And Saul has this dramatic conversion experience and he becomes a follower of Jesus himself. One of, one of Christ's biggest enemies ends up becoming one of the, the biggest proponents of Jesus and one of the greatest missionaries in the, the early church. So who better to understand the idea of this new identity that we, that we have than Paul? And he writes about it. He, he writes to the, the Christians. He writes to the church in Corinth. And this is just one verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are new. You are who God meant for you to be. There is a whole new identity that comes with being a Christ follower. But I'm not sure that all of us fully understand that. Maybe we've not been told that. Maybe we're here this morning and we thought that um, what it meant to be a, a Christ follower was more to do with the things we have to do now or the things that we, we've got to stop doing. And in actual fact, God's designed for us this amazing identity. And it's, it's less about what we should be doing and not doing and more about who he intended us to be and how he intended us to live our lives and finding the true identity of who this new creation is that Paul talks about. God has designed us with this amazing identity. And he wants us to to unpack it in our lives. And I find that the biggest identity thief that attacks us on a regular basis is no other than ourselves. I would say the biggest enemy at, at robbing us of who our identity really is, is us. I see it, you know, as a dad. I see it in the life of my kids. I've got three fantastic kids, Ben, Will, and Emma, and they're, they're awesome. And they range in, in ages from 7 through 14, and, and I see all the potential in them. I see all the greatness in them. And as they grow, I start to see what makes every one of them unique and just how they're going to grow to be wonderful adults one day. And I see who their identity is. But you know what? Every now and again, and you're going to struggle to believe this because they're Pastor Dave's kids, but they do make mistakes. They do things. I've got some of their cousins nodding here right now saying, yep, they do. They mess up sometimes. Now, obviously being the best dad, every time I just sit down and I cross my hands and we have a really good heart-to-heart conversation. But uh, 
Every now and again, I, my voice gets raised a little bit. Every now and again, I find myself getting angry, shouting at them. And do you know what I find is, is whenever there's an issue and maybe they've missed the mark or they've done something wrong and I find myself losing my temper, the more I try and tell them off, the more kind of defiant they get, the more you know, they stand their ground. And, and uh, you parents of teenagers, you're like, I know what you're talking about. I've, I've seen that look, you know, like when you're like, I can't believe you did this. But from time to time, I, I actually have some good parenting moments. And I sit down, and here's what I do. I'll sit with them, and I'll say, guys, listen. You know, maybe they've done something wrong, and I'll look at them, and I'll say, listen, that's not you. I know you. I know who you are. I see your identity, and the way you just behaved, the way you just treated your sibling, what you just said to your mom, whatever it might be, I, I know that's not you. I see all the good in you. I see this wonderful person, and I know that what just happened, that's not who you are. And it's amazing because when I have those conversations, when I get it right and I, I kind of have those, I can see just the softening take place because I think they're connecting and realizing, yeah, what I did was, was straying away from my identity. What I just did was pulling me away from who God made me to be. And it's kind of catching that moment and saying, listen, you know, don't you, because I see it in you that that's not who you are. And let's be honest, as much as our kids need to hear it, all of us grown-ups need to hear it as well. We need someone sitting down and, and looking us in the eye sometimes and saying, hey, listen, don't say that or don't do that. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. Because we allow our identity to be stolen sometimes. There was a great commercial out last year, and it was a huge hit on the internet. Everyone was sharing it on their Facebook pages. And it just does a really good job of showing how, how some of us fall into this trap that the world around us um, lays before us that steals us from our identity. So check this out. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's...
She looks closed off and fatter. Sadder, too. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. Isn't that great? It just shows, doesn't it, how um, we, we fall into this trap. We have this identity, and, and, and our identity, really, at the very core of it, is who God sees in us. God sees all this potential, all this greatness in us, and, and we, unfortunately, don't see sometimes what he sees. We have a different view of ourselves. And that commercial just illustrates that so clearly. And, and as we kind of talk more about this idea of our identity and who we are and who God sees in us. And um, over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to use a, a single guy in the Bible to kind of follow through his life. And we're going to take a look at his identity and see how that affects our identity and how we view ourselves and how God views us. And maybe work at stop allowing our identity to be stolen from us to be the person that we, we, we finally realize that God created us to be. So this guy that I'm going to talk about, his name is Joseph. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible. Now, a lot of you this morning, you may be familiar with Christmas Joseph. Okay, that's Joseph, the, the husband of Mary. Okay, he's the, one of the main characters there in the nativity set. He's right there in the front next to baby Jesus. Okay, it's not that Joseph that we're talking about. Okay, there is another famous Joseph in the Bible. He lived um, thousands of years before that Joseph in the Old Testament. In fact, you can read about him in the very first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis. And uh, his life story is told all about through about 13 or 14 chapters there from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a little bit more of his story every week. But if you want to kind of cut ahead and, and sit there thinking, I know what's coming next. I've read the story. It's right there, Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. He's a great person. Uh, if you've not heard of him, um, some archaeologists recently uh, discovered a, an old picture of him. We're going to put that up now on the screen. There he is right there. That's Joseph. That's the Joseph I'm talking about. Now, uh, <laughs> that's not really an archaeologist picture, just in case. That's, um, I think that's Donny Osmond, actually, uh, playing Joseph in the, the, the show Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoats, which um, the musical is based on the life of this Joseph. So if you've seen that show or you've, you've heard that soundtrack, you'll know a little bit about this guy. But just in case you haven't, let me, let me start by telling you a little bit of the, his story. So we meet Joseph for the very first time in Genesis 37. He's 17 years old. He's a young teenager, and uh, he has 12 brothers, okay? Or he's one of 12 brothers. He's number 11. But his youngest brother, Benjamin, he doesn't come along for, for quite a few years later. So for most of Joseph's childhood growing up, he was the youngest son. And do you know what that means if you grow up and you're the youngest son, especially in a family with, with 10 older brothers? That means you're dad's favorite. Okay? How many of you here this morning, you grew up and you had a younger sibling and they were, they were mom and dad's favorite? Anyone have to deal with that growing up? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone here was the youngest sibling and you're like, oh yeah, I was all about me. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can tell. When the hands go up, I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> so Joseph grew up, okay, and he was starting to, to become slightly unpopular amongst his brothers. Because as the favorite, he got treated differently. 
He got spoiled, okay? If you're familiar with the story and the picture here, you'll know that one of the ways that, that we see that was that his dad gave him this famous coat of many colors, and his brothers didn't get such a deal. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal about that? It's just a coat. But back in Bible times, this was huge, okay? This was the equivalent today of all of his brothers having to take turns to drive dad's beat-up 95 Taurus, okay? But little brother comes along, and he gets a brand-new Escalade with spinners, Okay, that's, that's kind of the, the modern day equivalent right there. Now, I don't know if they had spinners back in Joseph's time. I know they definitely had that Taurus. That's been around for thousands of years. But uh, that's, that's kind of how Joseph's brothers felt growing up. Suddenly, the youngest brother gets spoiled with this, with this beautiful coat. So how did this affect Joseph's brothers? You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, it can be a bit confusing. It can be a little bit hard to understand. You can read a verse and think, well, I'm not sure if that's saying this or this. But, but I think it's pretty clear when I read this verse how Joseph's brothers felt about him. Genesis chapter 37 verse 4, it says, They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, there's not a lot of wiggle room there for interpretation. They hated him, okay? They could not speak a kind word to him. So let's kind of set the scene. So, so if you're living in that kind of family, I've got a little bit of advice for you. Don't do what Joseph did. Because following this very verse, we discover that Joseph starts to have these dreams. These kind of prophetic dreams of something that's going to happen in the future. And in his dreams, he has this, this picture of him being a great leader and all of his brothers bowing down to him. Now, let me remind you, in case you've already forgotten, these are the brothers that hate him and could not speak a kind word to him. So who does he tell about his dream? Probably wearing his nice, shiny new coat, driving his Escalade. He goes, hey, guess what? I've had this dream. You're going to be so excited. You're all going to be bowing down to me one day. Is that awesome or what? No. Little word of advice. Don't share those dreams with your family, all right? Especially if they already hate you. So Joseph's brothers, they're now even more frustrated with him than they were before. So one day they, they, they come up with this plan. They're out in the fields working. They see him coming, walking towards him. They're like, here comes Joseph. And they start scheming. They say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's snatch that stinking coat off of him. We'll put some animal blood on it and we'll take it back to our father. And we'll say, hey, he must have got attacked by wild animals because all we found was this coat. So they're going to do this. And at the last moment, the, the oldest brother steps in and says, listen, maybe we shouldn't kill him because, you know, that might incur the wrath of God. So, so maybe instead what we should do is we'll rip off his coat. We'll throw him into that pit. We'll leave him for dead. So they do that and they get some animal's blood. They put it on the coat to take back to their father to tell them that sadly Joseph has died. And then as they're about to leave, they see some slave traders coming along. And they say, hey, we could profit from this. So they sell their youngest brother to these slave traders. And these slave traders, they take Joseph all the way across to another land, to Egypt. This was a terrible thing for the brothers to do. So after this, the slave traders, they take Joseph to Egypt and they end up selling him to a very powerful man in Egypt whose name was Potiphar. 
So Joseph now is Potiphar's slave. He's no longer with his brother. He's been taken away. And then a really strange verse appears here in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. It says this, And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Think about that. He's been thrown into a pit. He's been sold as a slave. He's been carted off to a strange land where he doesn't know anybody. He's all alone in slavery. And God was with him? doesn't sound like it, does it? It sounds like God left him a long time ago. But I want to point out something to us here this morning because I think we have a tendency to do that. We, we look at the situations in our lives and we think, well, God's with me now, but then this happens and, and oh, where's God? Things are going great, and then this happens. We're all healthy, and then we got sick, and, and we tend to put God in this section and not in this section. But, but the Bible clearly says here that even in the midst of the worst time of, God, of Joseph's life, God was with him. God had purpose. God had a plan, and God was with him. We discover that despite all of the mess, God is with Joseph, and he's blessing him in the midst of all of this. In fact, we know God's blessing him because Joseph ends up distinguishing himself as a servant in Potiphar's household, so much so that he ends up becoming pretty much Potiphar's right-hand man. So even though he's a slave, he's in charge of all of Potiphar's household. He's still enslaved, but things are looking up. And it's going well, but if you know the story of Joseph... We're about to hit another turn in the road here, another um, little bit of an upset. It's a little bit awkward, so I'll just let the Bible explain what happened. It said that Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Right there in the Bible, I mean, it's pretty clear what's going on here. You've got Joseph, this pretty buff, good-looking guy, and then you've got this Mrs. Potiphar, who seems to be some kind of cougar, okay? So I'm not sure if I can say that in church or not, but she's, she's after him. She's like an, a real wife of Egypt. You know, it's like soap opera kind of thing going on back here in Egypt, and Joseph's being, you know, challenged by this temptation in front of him. Now, the crazy thing is, historians actually tell us that this was a fairly common practice in those times. It was fairly normal for the lady of the house in that culture to have her way with male servants as long as she was discreet about it. So there's all kinds of pressure on Joseph right now. There's the pressure of this woman. There's the pressure of a society where everyone is doing it. But you know what? Joseph doesn't give in. Not just once, but over and over again, he refuses her advances. And the amazing thing about this isn't just that he refused her. It's not just what he did, or in this case, what he didn't do. It's why he didn't. He didn't say, I'm sorry, i got a girlfriend. She's back in Israel. We're real close. You know, I'm I'm holding out for her. He didn't say, I'm sorry, I I just don't date people at work. There's a policy I can't, you know, that it just doesn't work well, you know, working with someone you're dating. Now, here's what Joseph said. He said, referring to Potiphar, her household, her husband, how could I violate, violate his trust and sin against God? He's saying, listen, what you want me to do, that's not me. I'm not the guy who takes advantage of his boss's trust. I'm definitely not the guy who violates his relationship with God. It's not who I am. That's not my identity. 
I know who I am. I know who God created me to be. I know the call he's got on my life. When Joseph made this stand, it wasn't just a matter of right versus wrong or do's versus don'ts. It wasn't just a matter of morality. It was a matter of Joseph's identity. He knew who God was and he knew who he was in God. He knew that because God was with him, because he was one of God's people, he was called to be someone who was different. He was called to be a certain kind of person regardless of the pressures that he was facing or the temptations that he was struggling with. Joseph is a descendant of Abraham. He knew that Abraham and his descendants were blessed by God. They weren't better than, they were just different than the others in that culture. It was true of God's people in the Old Testament, and it's just as true today of God's people in the New Testament. The same challenge for us to find our identity, to find who God wants us to be, is as true today. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 19. He said, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. There's another great statement that Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples who, who, who messed up, but then Jesus forgave him, and then he went on to do incredible things throughout Acts and the New Testament and, and building the church. Listen to what he said. He said, dear friends, Peter's writing, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Peter's saying, listen, you want to know who your identity is? You want to know who this new creation that, that Paul's been talking about is? It's, it's you being an alien and a stranger. Now, I actually feel fairly well equipped to speak to you this morning as an alien. I, I am one. <laughs> I am, I'm a resident alien. I'm not an illegal alien. I am legally here, thanks to my good wife, Casey, down here on the front row. I'm a, a legal alien, a green card holder. And um, I know what it's like to kind of stick out a little bit, to not feel like you belong. I was just thinking about it for my message. This has happened to me more than three times. I've had to stand with either a, a clerk in a supermarket or a grocery store, um, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant, and try and have a conversation just to explain that I need some butter. 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 I, I've stood in Walmart for minutes, two, three minutes, with the lady saying, where's the butter? Butter? But, but. I've actually put a screen on, a picture of it in case you still don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's butter. How, how different can that sound? But I've stood in places where I've had to try and explain this to someone. And they're like, but, butter? But, butter? But you spread it on bread. It's butter. So I know what it's like to live somewhere and kind of feel like you don't fit in or you don't belong or you stick out just a little bit. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, that's what Peter's saying is that we have to be like aliens. That, that sometimes this is how we will feel. Because when we follow Jesus, we follow someone who's called us to bless the world. And to bless the world, we've got to be different than the rest of the world. That's why Peter's saying to abstain from these sinful desires which war against our soul. Now, I think it's easy for us to, to hear something like sinful desires and, and maybe we jump straight to this story of Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife and we get this idea of that temptation of, of instant sexual gratification outside of marriage and, and we think, yeah, that's what I'm going to stand up against. That's what I'm going to try not to do. But, you know, there are plenty of other desires that we have to deal with. 
plenty of other desires that we have to stand against if we're going to step into our identity as aliens. Here are just a few that you might need to resist. Retaliation. Maybe you'd never thought about this before. That, that, that desire to, or that, 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 that sense we have to resist the need to get back at people, especially when they've hurt us. To be an alien is, is to forgive rather than retaliate. How about this one? Talking about people behind their backs. When people around us pile on somebody, when they're all speaking negatively, we have to resist that urge to give in. And, and we have to become people who have nothing bad to say about anyone. That's alien. That's difficult in the society that we live in today. Maybe it's greed. Maybe um, we find ourselves living in this world where people trust money over everything else. They never have quite enough of it. I think aliens see money as something that God has blessed them with and are looking for ways that they can be generous with it. And they're not going to allow themselves to be controlled by it. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And I ask you, as, as I ask myself on a regular basis, are you different than the rest of the world? Because you're called to bless the world. And to bless the world, you've got to be different than the rest of the world. So as we kick off this series today, and we're going to spend a, a few weeks here talking about what the identity of a, a follower of Jesus looks like. One of those ways is, is looking at our true identity this morning as an alien. And really, it doesn't get any simpler than this. But simple doesn't mean easy, does it? It's simple in that it's easy to understand. But man, this is probably one of the hardest things as a follower of Jesus to live in. The question is I, that I have for all of us this morning is, do I know my true identity as a Christ follower? Or have I lost it? Have I allowed my identity to be stolen? Am I a victim this morning of identity theft? Because we are called to bless the world. And to bless the world, we've got to be different than the rest of the world. Peter said, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Joseph knew who he was. His identity had not been stolen and that made him an alien who wouldn't do what other people were doing. Not because he was better than them, because he was different than them. You know, this was a legitimate temptation he was facing. I think sometimes we think, well, maybe Potiphar's wife was just some old hag and he just wasn't even attracted to her. I don't think so. Potiphar was a rich, important person. He would have had a trophy wife. And he wasn't dealing with subtle innuendos and, and having to wonder, I think she might be into me. I think, I think she might like me. No, it says here that she was like... Come to bed with me is the phrase that the Bible uses. She was very clear with the intentions that she had for him. And he's living in a culture where everybody's doing it. It's the norm. But Joseph knew who he was. He knew his identity and he didn't want it to be stolen. So although it was hard, he stood strong. And it was hard. You're going to find out here soon that it, it cost him his freedom. And sometimes making a stand and, and standing in who we are and who our identity is will be difficult. It may cost us. I had a good friend back in England. He was a pastor. And um, we traveled together at a, a youth conference once. And he would share this story on a regular basis of a, a teenage girl that was in his youth group at his church. And you, you need to understand that in England, we're a very unchurched country. So, so she went to a high school where she would have been one of just a few people, a handful of people that attended church. 
that believed in Jesus. She was definitely in the minority. He shared this story of this young 16-year-old girl who was in an English class one day. And the teacher had them go around. They were reading a book together. And they were taking it in turns. They were reading a page each. And she kind of looked on her head a little bit. There was a couple of people ahead of her. And she, she looked at the page that she was going to have to read. And, and with horror, she looked because she realized that the page that she had to read from this book was full of obscenities and, and blasphemy and just saying, um, you know, taking God's name in vain. She started thinking, I can't read that. It got to the next person, the next person. Then it got to her turn. And she said, sir, teacher, are you okay if I don't read this? He goes, no, no, you're fine. Just go ahead and read it. She goes, I'd really rather not read it. He goes, come on. He's starting to lose his temper. He goes, everyone else has read it. Just read it. Come on. And she goes, I'd really rather not. And he goes, listen, I want you to read this. Why won't you read this? And finally, just under pressure, she said, because I'm a Christian. And there's some words in here that I, I don't want to say out loud. And, and there are words here about God I don't want to say out loud. My friend said that the teacher responded by saying, oh, that's so stupid. I suppose you're a virgin as well. In front of all the class, they all started laughing and she kind of put her head down, just felt really, really embarrassed. But in that moment, she took a really brave stand. Everyone else was doing it. She could have done it, but she felt, in my identity, I can't do this. And it cost her that day. She felt humiliated and embarrassed. But the reason my friend would tell this story at these youth conferences that we travel to, he says, do you know what? That was the beginning of the school year. By the end of the school year, over 10 of her friends were coming on a regular basis to youth group. 10 of her friends who had never been to church before. Because after that class, they'd gone up to her and they said, hey, we're, we're sorry that happened. That, we feel really bad for you. That was wrong what he did. But tell us more about why you made that stand. Why, why did you feel you couldn't? And she was able to kind of share about Jesus and what he meant in her life. And say, come with me. I want you to meet my friends. I want you to hear about Jesus in our youth group. And because of her stand, it made a difference. I want to reach other families here in Washington who, who don't know Jesus, who aren't followers of Jesus. And sometimes the best way for us to reach them is, is, is not to be here on a Sunday morning, to be out in the community living lives differently. You know, Chris gave that announcement earlier on for Good Neighbor Days. We, we do this every year because we love serving the community. But for us, when we're out there with our Connect shirts, this is another way of just people seeing, hey, I know that family, I know that person. It's a great opportunity to, to get the word out there. And, and maybe someone who's never attended church before, they'll be in the kids' tent and they'll see, see what's going on. They'll think, I, I want to check out this Connect. I've heard about that. That's a, I didn't know that. That, that family there, we, we play soccer together and they go to that church. I'm going to go and, and, and check that out. Because that's how we'll reach them. You know, I was thinking about it as I was preparing my message this week. And there's a good friend of mine here in church this morning. And uh, he, he was new to Connect. And uh, his story, you've heard it on the video, is a great story of how he, he came to find Jesus as his Lord. And he shared in that particular story that, you know, he was, he was listening to the message. He was enjoying being here. But he said, one day, the day of the tornado, he said, we were all huddled in those locker rooms. He said, and I watched followers of Jesus who, in the midst of one of the scariest times of our lives, were worshiping, were singing, were praying. He said, and I could see something different about them. Their identity shone in that moment. Who they were in Jesus came forward, and it changed his life forever. That was the day when he knew God was real, when Jesus became the Lord of his life, because he saw the identity reflected in those around him. So what does it look like for us who are Christ followers to remind ourselves that we are aliens this week? 
What does that look like in our lives? I think it starts with us asking ourselves this question. How is God calling me today, right here, right now, to be different? If we're going to, be blessed, if we're going to bless the world, we have to be different than the rest of the world. So, so what does that look like? So we're going to close this morning by just praying that prayer. We're going to pray the prayer, a very simple prayer that together this morning here. God, help me to begin to bless the world by being different from the rest of the world. And then I'm going to trust that even this week, God will start reminding you of your, your identity, maybe your new identity as a follower of Jesus. And there'll be areas like Joseph that maybe you'll stand up for what's right because you know that that's who your identity is. So I'm going to close right now and I'm going to pray that real simple prayer. But I'm actually going to then make it a really long, complicated prayer because I also want to pray this morning for Josh and Katie Burnett. If you know Josh and Katie, Josh is our uh, leadership resident. He's working with us here at Connect right now. And I know many of you have got to know Josh and Katie and fallen in love with them. They're a fantastic couple. Will and Ryan are their little boys. Um, Last Sunday, Katie had been kind of fighting um, some pain she was having in her kidneys all weekend. So Sunday night, she finally went to the emergency room. And, and all this last week, they've done scans and tests. They've even done exploratory surgery. And they can't figure out what's the source of this pain. So much so that tomorrow, they're actually going to transfer her to a hospital up in Chicago, University of Chicago Hospital, to do some more extensive testings with some, some experts up there. But I want to pray for that family as well this morning. So we're going to close out this morning by praying. I'm going to pray that real simple prayer uh, for all of us that this week we can ask God, how, if we're going to bless the world, what does it look like for me personally to be different than the rest of the world? And then we'll pray for Josh and Katie too. Father, I thank you for the wonderful examples of, of men and women who lived for you that we can read about in the scriptures. Joseph was a great man of God, Lord. Even in the midst of his darkest times, sold into slavery, your, your Bible, Lord, your word says that you were with him. And we see that, Lord, in, in the success he had in that household. But when he was faced with temptation, he chose to stand strong. He knew his identity in you. God, help us to begin to bless the world by being different from the rest of the world. Lord, I want that to be our prayer this week, Lord, to, for you to speak to us and show us this week just, just areas that we can uh, change in our lives, areas that we can um, just work on, Lord, to be different, Lord, to stand out, that we may reach others for you. And we pray as well, Lord, for Josh and Katie this week, Lord, as they transfer to this other hospital. I know right now, Lord, their, their biggest prayer is just to find some kind of answer, Lord. So I pray that not only would they find the answer, but God, that you would heal Katie completely, Lord. That, Father, we would just be sharing a miraculous story of how you were with this family and you, you really provided and were able to meet their physical needs, Lord. And we pray for Josh as he has to travel to and from Chicago. We pray for Katie, Lord, as she's up there. We pray for the boys as they're back uh, in Indiana with their grandparents, Lord. Just for that whole family, Lord, we just pray for them and let them know the love and support of their wonderful family and friends here at Connect. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.